are in Genesis chapter 11. We are uh, wrapping up Genesis chapter 11 as we uh, go into the life of Abraham. I am so excited about getting to the life of Abraham. But before we do, I want to uh, just give an overview as to where we have have been in these first 11 chapters. And so I'm mindful of the time. So I'm going to try to have us be out before the 49er Ram football game at 3.30, okay? Because I, I know you don't want to miss that game. So, um, but yeah, uh, let's, let's just kind of review where we've uh, been. Um, biblical faith is grounded in the narrative of God's great works of creation and redemption. And we've spend, spent some significant time on uh, God's creation, God's awesome power and glory in all that he did. And then we started looking at the redemption story uh, following the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Now, a critical part of the narrative and its timing is the fall. And, uh, and, and that's made clear in Genesis chapter 3. It's made clear in Romans chapter 8 that what has come before the fall, God did perfectly. He called it good. He called it very good. And it was the fall that brought chaos and death and judgment to mankind. Um, But following the fall, but in spite of the fall, God had a plan of redemption. And this plan was already in place before Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And we see this redemption plan unfolding in Genesis 3 through 11. God told the woman in Genesis chapter 3, after she disobeyed God, that one of her offspring was going to bruise the head of the serpent and that he would be punished. This offspring of hers would punish, would crush the head of the serpent. But in that um, declaration, there was promise that she was going to give birth. She was going to have children. Her descendants would multiply across the face of, of the earth. God was going to continue to bless bless her. And when Adam heard this promise that he made to God made to his wife, the Bible says Adam believed. And when Adam believed, that's when he named his wife Eve, which means the mother of all blessings the mother of all the living. And following that, that naming, God redeemed them. The Bible says he covered them. 
He took an innocent animal, shed the, slaughtered that animal, took the skin of that animal, and covered Adam and Eve's guilt and shame through a blood sacrifice. And this was a shadow of the perfect Lamb of God that is yet to come. And then from Genesis chapter 3, we see a line. We see a lineage that's going to lead from Adam to the end of chapter 11 to Abram. And so this morning, that's what I want to kind of focus on this morning, this redemptive line that God worked through in fulfilling his promise to Eve. Now, this is not necessarily a line to brag about. (laughs) You know, we see a lot of fallenness. We see a lot of corruption in the descendants of Adam and Eve. I like what um, Arthur Pink said about the first 11 chapters of Genesis. He says this, It was not until the utter depravity of man had been fully demonstrated by the antediluvians, that's mankind before the flood, and again at Babel, that God dealt with Abram in sovereign grace. And so I hope you have seen, as we've gone through these 11 chapters, man's utter depravity. You know, as, as we go through this, uh, we're going to be going through the first 11 chapters at about 30,000 feet. And uh, let's start with Genesis chapter 4. I'll just uh, briefly speak to it. You can take your Bibles, and as I'm going through each chapter, you can thumb along and uh, take notes if you'd like. But uh, let's look at the line of redemption. It starts with uh, Cain and Abel. You know, uh, we we looked at those two boys, and uh, Abel presented to God a worthy sacrifice, And Cain presented a sacrifice that was unacceptable to God. And Cain grew jealous, the Bible says, and he killed his brother Abel. And uh, following that death, we see that Adam and Eve had another son. His son, their son was Seth. And in Genesis chapter uh, 5, we see, well, at the end of Genesis chapter 4, when Seth was born, the Bible says, people began to call upon God. If you look at uh, Cain's descendants, there was not one righteous person among all those names. But as you look at Seth's descendants, uh, the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, you know, there's, a, there's, there's ten names mentioned there from Adam to Noah. Four of those names are righteous, the Bible says. Adam, Seth, Enoch, and Noah. Now, in chapters 6 through 9, we see the story of the flood 
the uh, reason why the flood came about and God starting over. And then after the flood in, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 26, well, we know in Genesis chapter 9 that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 26, following the flood, the Bible says that Noah gave the blessing to Shem. Shem wasn't the oldest. Shem was the middle child. Ham was the oldest. Why didn't Ham get uh, the blessing from his father? This was very important in patriarch days. The reason why Ham didn't get the give the why Shem did get the blessing is called election. It's called the sovereign grace of God. This is whom God chose to be the, the, uh, the line through which the Messiah would continue to come. So God starts over in uh, Genesis chapter 9. Uh, we see Shem receiving the blessing. And then we come to Genesis chapter 10. And God is starting over with eight people to repopulate the earth. Now, in Genesis chapter 10, it gets a little muddy because we don't see the line at that point. In Genesis chapter 10, God is is telling us about the table of nations. Uh, We see in Genesis chapter 10, the focus is on all three of Noah's children, okay, and their descendants, and how God is going to separate them into different nations, into different languages, um, and different boundaries. And so we see Noah's three children, Ham. Where did they all go? Where did Ham, Shem, and and Japheth go. Ham sat, settled in North Africa and the eastern Mediterranean coast. Shem's descendants settled in Mesopotamia and Arabia, and Japheth, uh, Japheth's descendants uh, settled in Europe and greater Asia and the greater area of Asia Minor. And Noah's descendants through his three sons, make up the 70 nations where God distributed them throughout all the earth among, in clans, languages, lands, and nations. And archaeologists tell us that uh, that is relatively certain, uh, that, is, that is something that is rather easy, easily identifiable. This is what God did. So that was chapter 10. That was Noah's family tree. And then we come to chapter 11. And chapter 11, we looked at this last week, tells us the reason why God separated Noah's descendants into those 70 nations. 
because they rebelled. They were disobedient uh, towards God. God told Noah and his descendants to be to be uh, fruitful and multiply and fill all the earth. And they all wanted to be together. And uh, they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to build a city. They wanted to build a tower that would uh, just build up their pride. And this was, uh, this was in disobedience to the Lord's will. And so God had to... Um, confuse their languages. And so chapter 11 explains why chapter 10 took place. Now, they wanted, they wanted to have a name. And it's interesting, as you look uh, at chapter 11, boy, God gave them a name, all right. Uh, a name that is easily identifiable. Babel. You know, Babel is identified as the center of godlessness, idolatry, and the future a name associated with the Antichrist. Biblically, Babylon, Babel, is identified as the center of evil influence throughout all history biblical history and will be into the future when Christ returns. Now, you know, we want to make a name for ourselves. But, you know, we need to be careful about making a name for ourselves because we see how that ends up. But, you know, it's good to leave a good name for your children to the next generation. I, I remember, and I've shared this before, there was a, a person associated with our church, a, a, young, a young man who became a dad, and uh, they were trying to figure out what they were going to name his son, and he didn't want to name his son after himself because he had a really bad reputation in this town. And this is a small town. He said, if I gave my son my name, that would not be the right thing to do because he would, he would have to live with my reputation. And I don't want that upon him. Dads, it's important that we be faithful to the Lord faithful to his promises, disciple our children, walk in his ways, and when we grow old and when we die, guess what? We are passing on to them a good name. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, and and I scrolled too far up. Bear with me for a moment. Talking about the table of nations. Here we are. 
here's a, a neat thing I learned about Shem. Um, I learned that Shem's name means name. <laughs> Nothing important about that name. But here is Shem, whose name means name. God is going to bless Shem. He's going to be the line that God will use to bring about the Messiah. And then here in chapter 11, you know, here's a people who are disobedient to God and they want to make a name for himself. But here's quiet Shem. One of the eight people who came off the boat. The Bible says that he was righteous. That's why he was able to go onto the boat with him and his wife. Because they believed God. And his name means name. And it is just a huge contrast between the people of Babel. And yet it's going to be Shem, whom God is going to use to make a name to one of Shem's descendants in Abram. God is going to change Abram's name to Abraham. And that name means the father of a multitude. He's going to be the father of many nations. And from the descendant of Abraham all the way to Jesus. The Bible says that the name Jesus is going to be the name above every name. So just think about that for a second. Here is faithful, quiet Shem, whose name means name. Who's not looking to build a name for himself. And yet God is going to use this man to bring about uh, the Messiah, the eventual Messiah. Now, what about those who grow up and uh, you grow up in a family that doesn't have a very good reputation? And uh, is there any hope for you? You know, as we go through this text this morning, I want you to know there is hope for you. If you'll just trust in the Lord. God can change your circumstances. Just as he changed Abram's. Because Abram didn't grow up in the greatest of families. (laughs) He had big issues in his family. And yet God chose Abraham. God took Abraham and he gave Abram a brand new name in Abraham. So, with all that said, and I know it was a lot said, let's get into Shem's genealogy. Okay, Genesis chapter 11. I want to read verses 10 through 26 this morning. I know you guys are nervous as, as we're just now getting into this text. But uh, let's look at what the Bible says. And bear with me as I pronounce these names, okay? And if you make fun of me, you're going to be the person reading these names next time as we get into genealogy. Okay. 
These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. And after, and Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. Now I want you to notice as we're going along here that uh, dads are fathering children earlier in life. With Shem, he was 102 years old when uh, he had his his son, but we see the year 30, uh, 35 and 30, and, uh, and these fathers are dying earlier as we continue to go on. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg, and Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ru, and Peleg lived after he fathered Ru 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru had lived 32 years, he fathered uh, Sarug or Sarug, and Ru lived with after he fathered Sarug 207 years and others and had other sons and daughters. When Sarah had lived 30 years, Sarah had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sarah lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Terah had lived 70 years, he had fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, let's stop there for just a minute. Genealogy, isn't that fun to preach on? Um, I could think think of some other things, but... uh, but genealogy is important, and there's a few reasons why. Number one, it gives us the age of history past and that it was real. And this is an accurate um, um, description or list of those who have all uh, gone after, Ab- after Adam and leading up to Abram. And so it gives us a history, and we know the length of that history because if you look at the, the genealogy in chapter 5 and chapter 11, it gives us the age of all the fathers, okay? And so we can trace that back and how much time that, that, that took. It tells us, number two, that we are all descendants of a real man, We are descendants of Adam. And then when God started over in Genesis chapter uh, 9, we are descendants of Noah as well. And so we are all related, okay? So look at your neighbor and say to yourself, hello, brother or sister, all right? Uh, In Christ, but uh, also um, in genealogy or maybe cousin, distant cousin, I don't know. 
third reason why genealogy is important is it gives us the line to the Messiah. From Adam to Abram, uh, as we look at in these first 11 chapters, and it and without this genealogy, it would be hard to prove that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Think of the skeptics who would have a field day with Jesus, and how do we know that Jesus is the truth? is the promise if we didn't have this genealogy in Genesis, uh, in, the, in the book of Genesis. So it, it, uh, it leads to a very strong argument that uh, Jesus fulfilled his promise. Now I want you to look, you don't have to go there, but uh, in Luke chapter 3, we see the genealogy of, uh, of Jesus, from Jesus to Adam. And uh, it's recorded, uh, the genealogy, here in Genesis chapter uh, 11. We find that in Luke chapter 3. But in verse 36, there's, there's a name that's not mentioned in Genesis chapter 11. And that name is Canaan. How did that name get there? Is this a mistake in the Bible? Do we find an error in Scripture because the name is found in the New Testament, but it's not found in the Old Testament. How do you answer this? And the way you answer this is that this, this name Canaan, the reason why it's not mentioned in Genesis chapter 11, it's because it's not found in the earliest manuscripts of Luke's gospel. Scholars tell us that... Uh, when, when scribes were writing out the Septuagint, translating the Hebrew Bible into uh, to Greek, that one scribe added this, this name, Canaan, um, in one of those Septuagint writings. But when you go to Luke's Gospel, it was never never recorded there. And so this got added later. Uh, and so that's how you answer that question. So, genealogy. Um, you know, so far, I've just kind of put together a, a tossed salad with no, no toppings on, on top, okay? And so for the rest of this message, I'm going to try to add some flavor to this tossed salad to make it a little bit more interesting. Um, Shem. Let's start with Shem. Shem had a son two years after coming off the ark. The Bible says Shem was righteous. He believed God. And he had, he had wife, a wife and brothers and their wives and his mom and dad. But you know, as you look at Shem's descendants, there are no God-fearers. There are ten generations listed between Shem and Terah. And in all those names, there are no God-fearers. 
One thing that tells us, church, think about Shem had five sons. None of those sons walked with God. Church, we have a responsibility to disciple our children. To show them, to share with them what saith the Lord. And we, and we have to trust God's sovereign watch care over their lives. But while, under their, while they are under our care for a brief 18 years or so, we've got to take advantage of the opportunity and pray that they will continue to walk in the Lord's day ways as they leave our home. This is our duty. And here we see in Shem, None of his children walked with the Lord. Shem lived to be 602 years old. He lived through Babel. He lived through the life of Abraham. And he watched watched the chaos that unfolded the the heart of man that was in rebellion against God. And I'm sure this broke his heart. One note in chapter of the genealogy, you know, in chapter 5, as you read all those descendants, one after another it says, and he died, and he died, and he died. There were a certain amount of age, and then they died. But it's different in chapter 11. There's no indication, they all died, but there wasn't, an ind- but it didn't point that out. And so it's like when you read chapter 5, um, the, pre- the prevailing thought is that uh, death and judgment is going to occur because of the sin of man. Yet in chapter 11, There's not the thought of death, but there's thought the thought of promise, promise, promise that's going to come. God promised Noah that he would never destroy the world again by a flood. But prior to a flood, death and judgment. It kind of reminds me of that Flip Wilson saying years ago, Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Now, for those of you under 61 years old, you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? But judgment did come. But following the, the, the flood, the promise is coming. The promise is coming. Life continues. Now, here's some more interesting facts about uh, this genealogy. Noah is alive for most of Abram's life. He only died a couple years before Abram's death. Or, um, yeah, before Abraham's life. Um, Before Abraham died. So the question occurs to me, I wonder if Abram ever met Noah. I wonder if he ever met Shem. 
because Shem outlives uh, Abraham. And here I see as well, even though uh, his family was all steeped in paganism, God is still, talking about Shem, God is still at work and soon will come the father of faith, Abram. Shem lived for 502 years after the ark. He saw no righteousness. I wonder how discouraged he was. But in all that waiting, can you imagine over 500 years? I mean, this country is only 200, almost 250 years old. He lived twice that long. But he saw no evidence of righteousness. No evidence of hope. But he was of the line. Noah said, God is going to bless your descendants, Shem. And Shem waits all those years. And here comes Abram. I hope that's an encouragement to you, mom and dad. Grandma and Grandpa, as you get discouraged with your children who aren't living the kind of life that you would hope that they would live, God is at work. And you just continue to be faithful. Pray. There is going to come a generation whom God will use. And so that's what we see in this genealogy up through verse 26. Now, let's quickly look at verses 27 through 32, and uh, we, we will be done. 27 through 32. I won't take long, but this is what the Bible says. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. The daughter of Haran, this is a different Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans, in, to go into a land of Can- into the land of Canaan, and when they had came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now 
I am not going to get into all the details of this text. We will look into this more next week. But uh, I want you to know a few things about this this text, though. Um, Abram is uh, one of three boys. Abram, we don't know where he fell into the, the line, but uh, we know that Nahor was the oldest because uh, he was, uh, he was uh, named after his grandfather. Um, but Abraham, or Abram, he was probably the third in line. But again, if he's third in line, why is God going to use uh, Abram and not Nahor? And again, it's all about election. God decides these things. He is sovereign, and God chooses Abram, who lived in Ur of the Chaldees. Now, in Acts chapter 7, the Bible says this. This is Stephen's testimony just before he stoned. He says this, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The glory, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. What was Mesopotamia like? It was near Babylon. And it was godless. It was full of paganism. They, and in, in uh, Terah's family in particular, they worshipped the moon god. And so here are these these godless family members. And the Bible says that God comes and he speaks, he appears to Abraham while he lived, before he lived in Haran. So that's Abraham's background. It was full of idolatrous worshipers. Joshua chapter 24 verse 2 says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago our fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan, and made him made his offspring many. I want you to see the grace of God. You know, when the Bible describes our salvation, the Bible is clear that we don't have anything to do with our salvation. It is the sovereign act of the Lord. Abraham was a pagan. He was worshiping the moon god. And yet God saw Abraham and God chose Abraham. And we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham over the next several weeks. And I am totally excited about this. But this is what the Bible teaches when it comes to our salvation and election. It is the sovereign grace of God.
This man was steeped in idolatry. I want you to know, church, and I have to remind myself of this often as well, there is nobody who is beyond the grace of God. You keep praying. You keep believing. You keep trusting. That God will do something with those whom you love most. God chose Abraham. In spite of his background. So I want to finish with this. Backgrounds do not block the purposes of God if you choose to walk in God's ways. God is great with do-overs. So if you've got a seedy past or you've got a family name that you're not very proud of, you know what the Bible says? He can reverse the curse. God can give you a new name. God can give you a new reputation. Backgrounds can be used to mold us to God's own glory if we choose to believe His Word. Part of Abram's background is he marries a gal named Sarai, who's barren. You know, if you're barren in the Old Testament, that was grounds for the husband to divorce his wife. And barrenness was a big thing uh, in, in these biblical days. It, and yet it's, it's through this barrenness and this waiting that God is going to mold the father of our faith. And third, don't set any limit on any person who has yet to know God. God is at work. God is faithful. And he will never, ever renege on his promises. He promised Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. And he's continuing to fulfill that promise as we come to the life of Abraham. And guess what? we still got 2,000 years to go. The wheels may grow slowly, but they surely grind. God's word can be trusted. So with that, I hope you're encouraged that we serve a sovereign God who is always, always, always working behind the scenes for your good and his glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this... um, this sure line 
of your promises and fulfillment. And so, Father, I pray that you would encourage your children. Because sometimes the road gets hard. And we get discouraged. And we lose hope. Because we don't see your hand. But may we always trust your heart. You are working in the lives of our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and beyond that we'll never meet. Help us. Help us to walk the walk of faith as we're going to see in the life of Abraham. Father, we love you. We praise you, and may this song that we sing now together, may this be our prayer to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.